2: And so what we're going to look at this morning are the four divine judgments that were given to the four guilty parties for their roles, for the roles they played in the fall of man, with the first one being the serpent, who is given, number one, the judgment of humiliation.
1: As to why God chose to humiliate the serpent for its role in the fall of mankind, we'll get to that shortly. And we'll also get to the other three judgments God handed down, as well as their impact on us today, especially in our marriages. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're looking at what the Bible has to say about marriage. And while we think of the early chapters of Genesis as being just about creation, one of the things God created was marriage, and it was great, until Adam and Eve ate that fruit. As a result, God placed a curse upon each of the four culprits the serpent, the devil, the woman, and the man. And the results of that very first sin continue to impact all of our relationships to this very day, including our marriage relationships. Get your Bible if you can. Here's Pastor Steve to continue our lesson about marriage and the fall.
2: Let's open our Bibles once again to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As we continue our study of the fall of man and how it specifically relates to marriage. Starting in verse 14, we read these words. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go, and dust you'll eat all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Mark Twain once said these words. He said, let us be grateful to Adam. He cut us out of the blessings of idleness and won for us the curse of labor. Now Mark Twain may have been a witty man. And a sarcastic man, but he certainly wasn't much of a theologian, as his misunderstanding of Genesis 3 reveals. See, Genesis 3, the verses I just read to you, they do not teach that idleness is a blessing, nor do they teach that labor is a curse. But Mark Twain isn't the only one who's ever misunderstood Genesis 3 and the judgments that are presented in this passage. You see, this passage has been misunderstood by many since the day that Moses, the inspired writer, penned these words because it's a passage that raises a number of interpretive questions. For example, in verse 14, we are told that as part of the curse, snakes are to eat dust. We read, dust you will eat all the days of your life. But but snakes don't literally eat dust. They crawl on their bellies, but they don't literally eat dust. So what is the meaning of this curse then? Secondly, in verse 15, God states and places another curse, but upon whom? Is he cursing Satan? Is he placing a curse upon snakes? He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, And between your seed and her seed. But who is the Lord referring to in this judgment? Is this this about mankind's general dislike for snakes? Or is there something else here? And who is the seed of, of the woman that he's referring to? Then in verse 16, in placing a curse upon Eve and all women after her, God says that your desire, Eve, will be for your husband. Now, what kind of a desire is God referring to? Is this a sexual desire? If so, then what kind of a curse is that? And Eve physically desired her husband before the fall, before she sinned. So what is this new desire that God has placed upon women as a result of the fall. And then finally, this passage raises a question about the kind of curse that, that God placed upon Adam and then all men after him. Notice, at the end of verse 16, we read these words concerning men in relation to their, to their wives that he will rule over you. That's what God said to Adam about Adam. He will rule over you. Now, what kind of a rule does this refer to? Does this mean that a man's leadership over his wife is a curse? If so, then what does this say about a husband being a leader to his wife? Is man's headship over his wife wrong then? So you see, these are just some of the questions that we need to face and address and get answers to as we look at this unique passage of Scripture. However, the reason that we're going over these verses today is not merely to untangle some knotty theological issues. We're studying this passage of Scripture because we are presently Engaged here at Lakeside in a study of what the Bible teaches concerning marriage. And it's in this passage that God pronounces curses upon Adam and Eve. And those curses, those judgments, those sentences provide us with some critical insight into the challenges that all husbands and wives face in having a successful marriage. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I'll go so far as to say that without an understanding of the curses pronounced here in this passage on Adam and Eve, you will never really understand the root cause of much of the striving that takes place between husbands and wives. That is to say, this that what we are about to learn today will help each of us have a better understanding of why having a good marriage can be so challenging. Now, as we begin our study of these verses, I just want to remind you where we are in our study of Genesis 3 in the fall. I remind you that the entire chapter revolves around events relating to the fall of man as Eve and then Adam disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. This is the first sin. Now, the way that Moses, the inspired penman, writes this all out for us, he, how he presents the fall, is that first he, he's told us about Satan's temptation of Eve as he solicited Eve through a snake to disobey God. Moses then told us about the actual fall itself and the far-reaching effects of the fall. This is what we focused on last Sunday as we learned that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they recognized that something was radically different about them. They were now sinners, and so for the very first time, they were conscious of the fact that they were naked, which in this context indicates that they no longer delighted in being sexually intimate with each other. And so they covered up their bodies by sewing some fig leaves together and making loincloths. Now, as we discovered, Last Sunday in our study, the problem with their sexual intimacy was only symptomatic of the root issue, the root problem, which was that their relationship with each other was no longer intimate. As I said last week, they were having problems in the bedroom because they were having problems outside of the bedroom. As sinners, they were now selfish, they were self-focused, they were preoccupied only with their own interests. And so the openness, the oneness, the honesty, the transparency that had been their experience when they were sinless, folks, that was now shattered, gone. And as a result, they began and would begin to withdraw from each other and act independent of each other. Therefore, the natural consequence of their withdrawal from each other was that not only did they cover up and hide their their bodies from each other, but they would soon start to hide their innermost thoughts, their innermost and deepest feelings from each other. See, that's how the fall affects all of us. God brings you together with your spouse to be the best of friends. Adam was lonely without a lifelong female companion. So God gave him Eve, we, we've seen this, to be best of friends, companions. And you have this relationship of closeness and emotional intimacy and trust like no other relationship in the world. But sin pushes us in the direction of hurting our spouse. We hurt them by being insensitive, assertive, uh, uh, in a selfish way, thoughtless, demanding, and saying and doing things that cause deep hurt and pain to the person that we promised to love all of our lives. And the natural reaction to all this pain is that we tend to withdraw from our spouse and hide from them our deepest and and innermost thoughts and feelings. We've been hurt by them, so we're going to hold this sin against them. And we're going to emotionally protect ourselves from ever being vulnerable like that again as we just retreat further and further from them. Now, if that's where your marriage is at, you're two people who may live under the same roof but your hearts are closed to each other, I want you to know there is hope. There is hope for your marriage because God has revealed in his word how to overcome this natural tendency of Pulling away from our spouse, putting up walls and barriers. We learned that last week. We covered that extensively, that there are several steps to getting back to being close with your spouse. Now, we don't have time today to go over all of those steps, but I would encourage you. If you were not here last week, visit our media, media center just down the hallway and ask uh, for a CD on, on that. I would encourage you to listen to it. Pay attention to that. But if you, if you were here last week and you did hear that message, then I hope that you're in the process of applying those truths to your marriage. Because your marriage will not be helped simply by getting information. You can go to a conference that we had a few months ago on marriage. You can, you can go and attend all the messages and hear them. But if you're not implementing, if you're not, if you're not applying these truths, it does you no good. James tells us, be doers of the word and not simply hearers. And that's why I've been encouraging you every Sunday to sit down with your spouse and discuss these biblical issues that that you've been hearing so that you begin to apply them to your marriage. Not to somebody else's marriage, but to your marriage. And so what we've seen thus far concerning the events surrounding the fall of man is this. Number one, we've seen the temptation that led to the fall. Number two, we've seen the natural effects of the fall. Today, we want to look at the final issue that's connected to the fall. It's one that very much impacts marriage, and that is the curses of God because of the fall. You see, in addition to the natural consequences that just come from being a sinner, the fall of man also brought with them some severe judgments, specific judgments that God placed on each of the parties involved in man's original sin. And these judgments, especially the ones placed upon Adam and Eve, have a direct bearing upon marriage. Now, here's the way these verses concerning God's judgments unfold. In response to the sin of Adam and Eve, God pronounces four judgments in the form of four curses or sentences pronounced upon the four individuals involved in the fall of man. The serpent, Satan, Eve, and then finally Adam. But I want you to keep in mind that that these divine judgments are not merely for these four culprits. They are also for all of their descendants. That's why this is so relevant for us. These are divine sentences passed upon all serpents, all of Satan's children, all women, and all men. And that's why these judgments, as I said, are so pertinent to us because they are still impacting us today. Now, since this is a study on marriage, what I want to do this morning is go through each of these divine sentences of judgment. But I want to concentrate on by paying special uh, attention in terms of, of application to the ones that are pronounced upon Eve and then Adam. Because as I said, these two, these two judgments have have a direct bearing on the challenges we face in getting along with our spouse. And so what we're going to look at this morning are the four divine judgments that were given to the four guilty parties for their roles For the roles they played in the fall of man. With the first one being the serpent who is given, number one, the judgment of humiliation. The judgment of humiliation. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. Now, we pick up the story right where we left off last Sunday. Having just spoken to Adam, who blamed Eve for his sin, and then to Eve, who blamed the serpent for her sin, God now turns his attention to the serpent that the devil used to tempt Eve. And in doing so, he doesn't ask any questions of the serpent. He did of Adam, he did of Eve, but not of the serpent. He just passes judgment on him. He tells him that he's cursed more. Than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. Now, immediately, what this tells us is that when man fell, the animal kingdom was impacted as well. In Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, Paul tells us that all creation, including animals, all creation groans because they are under God's curse. In other words, as a result of man's fall, animals no longer experience the, the harmony and the blessings that they once had. Now they, they too are cursed by God in the sense that he has removed them from the place of blessing to experience suffering in a variety of ways, suffering that they never had before the fall. Animals now suffer, for example, by being mistreated at times by, by man. They are attacked by other Animals, that didn't happen before the fall. Some have become annoying pests and they are therefore hunted and eliminated. And animals like mankind now suffer from the destructive forces of nature such as earthquakes and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and famines and droughts and other types of natural disasters. These things never happen before man's fall. And so, as a result of the fall, everyone in the animal kingdom is under God's curse. But according to what we read here, the serpent was cursed more than the other animals. So, the question is, why was he cursed more than any other creature? And how was he cursed beyond the other animals? Well, first of all, he was cursed more than any other animal because, note this, he allowed Satan to use his body to deceive Eve. Apparently, this snake willingly, willfully yielded his body to the devil, and so he is held responsible for his action. But more than that, by yielding itself to to Satan, the serpent, note this, he exalted himself above man in that he wanted to play a leading role in leading man into sin. He wanted to have some involvement in leading man into sin. Now keep in mind that according to Genesis one twenty eight, God had appointed man to rule over the animal kingdom. But this serpent, in yielding itself to Satan, actually put himself above man in the sense of willfully being used by the evil one to lead mankind into sin. And so, because the serpent's crime was exaltation, God's punishment then was Humiliation, just the opposite. God humbled him. On your belly you will go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Now, as I've said in a previous study, it may very well have been that when God originally created serpents, they were made with with legs or perhaps even wings and maybe even stood upright. We know they couldn't have crawled on their bellies because that's part of the curse. So they had to look differently. But now as a result of his sin, the serpent is a lowly reptile who slithers on his stomach. So what about the curse of eating dust? Well, snakes, as I said, they don't actually eat dust. They slide on the ground, but they don't eat dust. So is this an error in the Bible? No, of course not. Not at all. You see, the expression eating dust is a figure of speech That is commonly used in scripture as well as other ancient literature to refer to humiliation and degradation. For example, speaking of the king of Israel's enemies, in Psalm 72, verse 9, we read, Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Now, they're not literally licking the dust, just an expression to say, They are so low. Nothing is lower than that. It's degradation. In fact, Today we use a similar expression in speaking of the humiliation that takes place in the world of athletics. By referring to a team that suffers an embarrassing defeat, what we say is they bit the dust. It's just an expression. It was an embarrassing, humiliating defeat. So the serpent, who once exalted himself, is now in a perpetual state of humiliation. He's been reduced to a wiggling reptile, a lowly creature crawling Upon the ground. And it's interesting to note that the effect of this curse will not end even during the millennial kingdom when the curse will be lifted for the rest of the animal world. Let me show you this Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25 says this, the wolf and the lamb will graze together. This is talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, the messianic millennial kingdom. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. The curse will never be lifted, not even in the millennial kingdom. So every time you see a, a snake slithering, on its belly. It's it's a reminder. It ought to be a reminder of the fall of man, that the sin of exaltation was met with the curse of humiliation for the serpent's role in the fall. So the first of the divine curses that God gives is upon the serpent. But the serpent as we know, he was only a tool, a willing tool, but he was just a tool in the hands of Satan. So what we read next is God's judgment then upon Satan himself for his role in the fall of man, which is that he will be defeated by the seed of the woman. Verse 15 starts this way. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, it is very likely that the devil had believed that with the fall of man, he would win the allegiance of Adam and Eve and all of their future children. They would just follow him. After all, they were now sinners just like he was and he is the God of this world as scripture calls him so he apparently thought that, that they would all naturally follow him as their leader, as their king. Why not? They're sinners like, like him. They don't love God. They now are like him in nature. But if this is what the devil believed then he was wrong because God's judgment upon him as we're told here involved an ongoing hostility between his seed And Eve's seed. Now, who exactly is the seed of the devil? And who exactly is the seed of the woman? And what is this ongoing enmity about? Well, this doesn't seem to be a reference to the general disdain that most people have for snakes. Because at the end of this verse, God speaks of a specific individual who will defeat Satan, and it is definitely not a snake. See, the seed of the devil is a reference to, note this, those among mankind who follow Satan, meaning all the ungodly, meaning all unsaved people. Now, they may not even believe in Satan. They certainly are not conscious, at least most of them, that they are followers of his, but they are. And the seed of the woman is then a reference to all saved people. The seed. So the seed of Satan, unsaved. The seed of the woman, Saved. And we know this is the right interpretation because this is precisely what the New Testament teaches.
1: We'll get to the details of that on the next Verse by Verse. We'll see that Jesus gave us a partial explanation, but later on the Apostle John spelled it out for us very plainly. He even goes so far as to say, By this, meaning whether or not we habitually sin, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. There's not enough time left today, so we'll have to wait until next time to flesh this out. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit sometime, Lakeside's address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. There's a map as well as service times, phone numbers, and lots more information about Lakeside online at lakesidechapel.com. Or call the church office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, but we depend a great deal on generous listeners like you to help us with the expenses of airtime on this station, along with the costs of production. If you feel led to make a gift to Verse by Verse, we'd like to ask you to please do not neglect your own church as you do so. You can find out more on the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We also have a message archive page so that you can listen for free to any of our previous broadcasts. Once more, that's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. To get the most out of any scripture passage, we have to understand what God is actually saying. Verse 15 says, in part, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. These verses in Genesis 3 are often misunderstood. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will help us be sure we catch the meaning of the first presentation of the Gospel.